See, we're in this series called Real Life at the Movies, where for four weeks, we're going to take an opportunity to pull some timeless truths out of some cultural material. It's not unlike what Paul did uh, in Acts chapter 17, where he took a, a current philosopher of his day, a Greek philosopher, and took something he said, his quote, his message, and pulled the timeless truth of God out of it. Because what we find is God decides to speak in different ways, and we want to pull the timeless truth, and so we're going to use our modern-day philosophers' movies in this series to see maybe God is using these people to teach us something about our nature or about his creation. Uh, and so Ryan did a great job last week in doing this with Spider-Man Homecoming, to, that maybe there's something in there that God's trying to teach us about this timeless truth about our identity and how he's created us. And today, our movie is Black Panther. How many of you have seen Black Panther? Okay, a, a good number of you, okay? It is not an, uh, imperative that you've seen Black Panther to, to get today's message. I, I want to be clear on that. See, I saw this movie when it came out in February. It's the second highest grossing movie of the year, right behind another Marvel movie, Infinity War. And it's honestly been one of my favorite Marvel movies in general. And it's mainly because I really believe that there are themes under the surface of just the action uh, and, and all that stuff that's going on there and the superhero side of it, that maybe there's this gospel theme just under the surface. And that's where we really want to get to today. But to set up the story, in case you, for those that haven't seen the movie, I want you to be able to understand where we're going when we talk about Black Panther, who are we talking about? And so let's just watch the very opening clip so you can get a, a basis for this movie. Baba? Yes, my son? Tell me a story. Which one? The story of home. Millions of years ago, a meteorite made of vibranium, the strongest substance in the universe, struck the continent of Africa, affecting the plant life around it. And when the time of men came, five tribes settled on it and called it Wakanda. The tribes lived in constant war with each other until a warrior shaman received a vision from the panther goddess Bast, who led him to the heart-shaped herb, a plant that granted him superhuman strength, speed, and instincts. The warrior became king and the first black panther, the protector of Wakanda. Four tribes agreed to live under the king's rule, but the Jabari tribe isolated themselves in the mountains. The Wakandans used vibranium to develop technology more advanced than any other nation. But as Wakanda thrived, the world around it descended further into chaos. Vibranium safe, the Wakandans vowed to hide in plain sight, keeping the truth of their power from the outside world. And we still hide, Baba? Yes. Why? So we see this movie, this fictional movie, set in a fictional country in Africa called Wakanda. And Wakanda is this place that has remained hidden to the outside world because they have this substance, this meteoric substance called vibranium. 
And it's this coveted substance all over the world, but they have it. And because of it, they've been able to, to just excel in every way, in enhancements, in technology, in health. Every way they are full of riches and enhancements, but they hide. They hide. And why do they hide? They hide because they're scared. They fear that what would happen if they opened their walls and people got to infiltrate their way of life. They liked their comfort of abundance. And I don't really blame them. I don't really blame them. I'm not a, um, a, good, uh, a person that's good at sharing. I don't know if you're good at sharing, uh, but I missed that uh, lesson in kindergarten. And so I'm not the quickest to share. Let me give you an example. I have two kids. Uh, my daughter it will be four in August. My son will be two in August. And recently, uh, I've been making about the same breakfast every day. Okay, two eggs, a little almond milk, so, some crushed sausage, and uh, some uh, roasted potatoes, right? You put it all in the pan, you scramble it up, it's amazing. You want the recipe later? I'll give it to you, okay? It's fantastic, okay? But my son has this radar. As soon as I sit in my seat after I've made this delicious breakfast scramble, he appears as if from nowhere, right? No matter where he is in our house, he will come running and he is after my breakfast scramble, right? And I've just sat down. I've just sat down. I've, I've made this delicious scramble. I'm, I'm ready just to have a few moments by myself so I can, can eat this. He's already had his breakfast and he's always carrying something. I don't know why. Recently, it's just DVD cases and he just carries around. He shows up and he hands them to me. Because he needs to clear his hand so he can hold the fork to get this delicious breakfast scramble. And I don't want to share it with him. It's mine. Get your own breakfast scramble, I tell him every day. But if you've ever seen my son, he's too cute to say no to. And so every morning, he ends up on my lap eating my breakfast scramble. Because Miles is really cute, and I can't say no to him. But I don't instinctively want to share like that, that's just my nature, right? I, I don't instinctively want to get off the couch. I would much rather be comfortable than feel the weight of it, right? Like I don't want to be out of my comfort zone. I want to be on the couch. And I think it's not just a me problem. At least I'm hoping it's not just a me problem, right? I think it's even somehow an American issue, right? We've worked hard for what we have, and we deserve to keep it. We deserve to enjoy it. And if someone wants what we have, then they too can go work hard for it and they can earn it and they can keep it and I can keep mine and you can keep yours and we're all good and nobody has to share. But the question becomes, what do we do if what we have can help someone else? And maybe a further question is, what would we do if helping that person means moving outside of my comfort. See, that's where T'Challa, the name of Black Panther, and the king of Wakanda, and his people find themselves throughout the film. They're wrestling through what do we do because what we have could be pretty helpful outside of here. But the way of life that we have we like it. In fact, uh, to, to further emphasize that, let's watch another clip where they're wrestling with this issue. Come home, Nakia. I'm right here. Stay. I came to support you and to honor your father, but I can't stay. 
It's just I found my calling out there. I've seen too many in need just to turn a blind eye. I can't be happy here knowing that there's people out there who have nothing. What would you have Wakanda do about it? Share what we have. We could provide aid and access to technology and refuge to those who need it. Other countries do it, we could do it better. You are not like these other countries, Nakia. If the world found out what we truly are, what we possess, we could lose our way of life. Wakanda is strong enough to help others and protect ourselves at the same time. If you are not so stubborn, you would make a great queen. I would make a great queen because I am so stubborn. Ah, see, if that's what I wanted. See, this is the question they're wrestling with. Do they stay true to the people inside the walls and protect this way of life? Or do they open the gates and hope for the best? See, this is what the Wakandans are wrestling with. But I would say that it's not just a Wakandan decision. No, the early church wrestled with this big time. And if we fast forward to the end of the message, I think we still are wrestling with this decision. See, the story of God's people had always centered around this people group called the Israelites. God rescued them out of Egypt. He built a kingdom of them through David and Solomon. And he had always promised that his anointed one who would come and save the people would come from the Israelites. And he was right. Jesus was an Israelite. He was a Jew and his followers were Jewish too. In fact, when we find the church... In Acts chapter 10, led by the apostle Peter, everyone who had followed Jesus was Jewish or had converted to Judaism in order to follow Jesus. And there were clear instructions for the Jews to remain separate, not to intermingle with other nations and other religions, to protect the people of God and the rest of the world can fend for themselves. But the story of God leads Peter and then the church to a place they didn't expect to be, faced with a decision similar to that of the Wakandans. And we're going to be in Acts chapter 10 and 11 today. It's the longest narrative in the book of Acts. See, the book of Acts tells the story of how the church got started. But chapters 10 and 11 are this pivotal moment in the church. It's the longest narrative in the entire book. And so we won't spend a whole lot of time reading the exact words of it. I'd encourage you this week to go read the account, but I want to summarize with you. See, the story doesn't actually start with a Jewish man. It starts with a man named Cornelius. Now, Cornelius, not a Jewish name. He was a Roman. It's a really good Roman name. And he was a good Roman. He was, in fact, a centurion, which meant he led up to a hundred Roman soldiers. He was pretty high up there. And so uh, Cornelius, not a Jew, Roman. But it says he was a God-fearing man, which means he believed in the God of the Jews, but did not convert to Judaism. So he's still not Jewish. He is still very much Roman. Right? If he had converted to Judaism, then he would have had to leave his Roman command. So he believed in God, but he wasn't Jewish. So he was on the outside. But he has this vision, this vision from God. And this vision tells him to go find a man named Simon Peter 
in a town 30 miles south of where he lived. And he would have answers on what he was supposed to do. And around the same time that Cornelius is having this vision, Peter is sitting on a rooftop of a friend's house. He has another vision. His vision's a little bit more confusing, a little bit weirder than Cornelius's. In this vision, there are a bunch of different animals, all kinds of animals. And this voice, spoiler alert, it's God. This voice says, rise and kill and eat these animals. And this is confusing for Peter. One, because that's a weird dream. Two, because Jewish people had all kinds of dietary laws on what they could and could not eat. And this would go against all of those laws. But the voice said in the vision, in Acts 10, 15, do not call something unclean if God has made it clean. And we're still talking about food and animals, right? Maybe. Maybe it's not food anymore. See, he's having this vision while Cornelius' guys are knocking at the door. And Peter was still perplexed by this vision, but the Holy Spirit whispered into his ear and said, go with these men. So being the obedient man that he is, he goes with those men, he hikes the 30 miles north, and he walks into Cornelius' house. But the first thing he says when he walks into this person's house, he says, don't you know that I'm committing all kinds of law violations by even being in your house. See, the Jews had all these rules and restrictions about who they could deal with and who they could interact with. And one of those laws was, you are not allowed to step in a non-Jewish person's home, a Gentile's home, a non-Jew. You're not allowed to be there. And that's the first thing he tells Cornelius when he sees him. Like, thanks, Peter. That's a very warm welcome. But... He's finally putting the pieces of the puzzle of the vision together, and he makes a profound statement. He's already told them, I'm not supposed to be here. But he says in verse 28, God has shown me that I should no longer think of anyone. Like he makes the jump from animal to people. I no longer think of anyone as impure or unclean. Let's pause there for a second. Can you just imagine for a moment, if in our world, in this church, we looked at everyone and we didn't see anybody as impure or unclean. I mean, how would it would change our community? How would it change our lives? And Peter goes on to share the gospel, this good news of who Jesus is with Cornelius and all the Gentiles, right? Non-Jewish people, the people who are not supposed to receive this message. Peter is just willy-nilly preaching it to him. And Cornelius accepts that gospel and he's baptized right there in his home. And he is the first non-Jewish Christian ever recorded. See, Peter steps way outside of his comfort zone and he reaches out to help a Gentile, a Roman soldier, the enemy. Not all of the church agreed with Peter's decision. What would this mean for those inside the church? So Peter is brought to defend himself in front of the church. So he tells them exactly what happens, right? The visions, the unclean, the clean, the sermon at the Gentiles' house. And he wraps it by saying this. In chapter 11, verse 17, he says, And God gave these Gentiles, these outsiders, 
the same gift he gave us, the Holy Spirit, when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. And don't miss this. Who was I to stand in God's way? Peter likely didn't understand all of what was happening. It was probably a whirlwind for him. But his response was, if God is moving in this moment, who am I to stand in his way? See, Peter has this encounter, and it's a landmark story in the life of the church. It's shaking the very foundations of everything they know. Cornelius was an outsider. If they accept him, the walls protecting the church come down. They're exposed and vulnerable. Cornelius isn't from where they're from. He doesn't look like they do. He doesn't share their history, and he doesn't share their struggles. How dare he be a part of here? Why would they leave their comfort to risk what they are building to help this man in his household? Well, the answer is simple. It's the same reason the Wakandans should have opened their walls. They had something that could help, that could save the people. See, the church doesn't possess any vibranium. I've looked in all our closets here. Right, we don't have any of this meteoric substance, but what we have is the hope of the world. Right, we don't need vibranium when you have the hope of the world, the gospel of Jesus, the good news that he is fully God and fully man, that he walked this earth a sinless life, he died on the cross, but he rose again three days later to show us that death couldn't hold him and sin will not hold us. That's the good news, that's the hope that we have. That's what the church has. And this gospel demands that it not be hidden, that it not be protected, but instead that it be shared. You see, the gospel is good news. The gospel of Jesus is good news for everyone. Everyone. Paul will later write a letter to the church in Rome. You mean the same people of Cornelius, the outsiders, the ones that they were questioning if they should even have this gift to begin with. And then they're going to plant a church there and it's going to grow like crazy. And Paul's going to write a letter to show them, okay, now how then do I live? And he says this in chapter 10, if you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God, and it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. As the scriptures tell us, anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. Jew and Gentile, Peter and Cornelius are the same in this respect. They have the same Lord who gives generously to all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone. You know that Greek word, the original language, the Greek word for everyone, it literally means everyone. It's it's not complicated. So Jew, yes. Gentile, yes. Peter, yes. Cornelius, yes. The insider, yes. The perceived outsider, yes. The rich, yes. The poor, yes. The black, yes. The white, yes. Whatever, Whatever race, whatever area you're from, yes. See, Wakanda struggled to believe that everyone deserved a chance to receive their help. And the early church wrestled with the concept that everyone should hear the good news. And I honestly think we still do the same thing. We pick and we choose who to share with, who to help, and who gets to be on the inside. 
And too many times, just in my own life, I look at this comfortable Christian life that God has blessed me with, with my wife and my kids and my job and food on the table and a house to live in and a country where I'm free to worship. And I, I thank him for, being, for blessing me so much, but I forget that he has blessed me so that I can be a blessing. I forget that. See, Paul told the Romans, everyone, everyone can be saved. But he didn't stop. He continues in verse 14. He says, but how can they, the people who have not accepted this message, how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? It's a rhetorical question. The answer is obviously they can't. And how can they believe in him if they've never heard of him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? That is why the scriptures say, how beautiful are the feet of messengers who bring good news. There's a mandate in there, right? Salvation is open to everyone, but everyone only gets it if the ones who have it share it. It's kind of a tongue twister. Let me say it again. Salvation is open to everyone, but everyone only gets it if the ones that already have it share it. See, I honestly believe that we in the church, and maybe I'm the biggest offender in this, are sometimes too choosy with whom we share the good news. Because if the good news, if this gospel that we're believing and we're living out only works for those who are close to us or only works for those who look like us, then we're not believing the gospel of Jesus. We're not. Because the gospel of Jesus is for everyone. I recently read an article by a writer reflecting on some of the wisdom found in the story of Black Panther. He said it this way, in God's word, I've learned that his Wakanda has borders that expand beyond cultural similarity. All nations, all tribes, all tongues share a common citizenship, an everlasting fellowship that unites irrevocably. And this reality has already begun. So he's talking about heaven, but heaven comes to earth every time we show help to our neighbor. And like, don't complicate it, right? Like people live next door to you and they need help. And they need this hope. That we live out this gospel every time that we assist someone who is in need. Last spring, my high schoolers got a chance to go serve uh, with, a, with an organization called Blessings Under the Bridge. It's this awesome organization, a, a recent partner of VRL, um, that serves a, a hot meal to homeless people in Spokane every Wednesday. They also help uh, give uh, necessary items uh, for the different seasons, clothes, different things. Uh, we, our high school students raised flip-flops and sunscreen and sunglasses to, to give to them as they come into the summer months. But our high schoolers didn't do this because they have a high school pastor who's just amazing and is pushing them out of their comfort zone. I've already told you, I would rather be on the couch. No, our high schoolers did this because a high school sophomore girl said, Tyler, we have to do something. That this Jesus that I'm encountering, this gospel that I'm trying to live out is taking me outside of our walls and we have to do something. the student recognized that the gospel in action has to go to everyone. 
And it's not always big efforts that build bridges. Sometimes it's a conversation here or a small gift there. One of my favorite authors, his name is Bob Goff. He would say it this way. Love people always and start with the creepy ones. Right? Love people always and start with the creepy ones. It's a good mandate to live by. See, what would happen if every time you saw a homeless person on the corner, you helped them? What if we didn't rationalize ignoring them because they probably got themselves into that mess anyway? A friend of mine had a young son. And every time they would leave Walmart, they would see a homeless person asking for something. Money, food, help, gas, something. And every time they would pass it, he would yell at his dad from the back of the car and say, Dad, we have to help them. They need help. Right? He did what a lot of us do, and he said, the dad said, no, just don't make eye contact. We, we got another errand to run. And then he just kept going. His son just said, we got to help him. We got to help him. They need help. And the Holy Spirit began to convict my friend. So one day, before they went to Walmart, he said, okay, buddy, let's, let's get together. We're going to make peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Every time we go to Walmart, we'll have a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, and we can help whoever is there that needs the help. We'll give them a sandwich. It was a little way, but this kid started to live out the gospel at the age of five at Walmart. So that's the question. What can we do? What can you do to live the gospel of Jesus out? What does it look like in your office? What does it look like in your home or in the stands while you're watching your kids play a sport? What does it look like in your school? What does it look like when you're on that field yourself? See, the early church figured out what to do. They welcomed everyone, Jew or Gentile. They were welcome in the church of Jesus. And small spoiler alert about the Black Panther, they figure it out too. T'Challa and Wakanda, they figure it out. And at the end of the movie, okay, oh, pro tip, okay, if you're going to a Marvel movie and the credits start to run, okay, don't get out of your seat, okay? This is like, this is a huge soapbox for me, okay? They have these things called after credit scenes. So all these different people worked on the movie, they want you to see their name so they can get a little rah-rah, right? It's fantastic. But the movie ends, and it's like this big ending, and then their credits start. And all these people just decide they're going to leave the theater like the movie's over. But if you've been to a Marvel movie, you know the movie's not over. The credits will run a little bit, and then they show another scene. And then the credits run a little bit more, and they show another scene. And if you left the theater before the end credit scene at Black Panther, you missed my favorite scene in the entire movie. You see, it's this scene where T'Challa, Black Panther, is standing in front of the United Nations to declare that Wakanda will no longer hide and they are going to open their resources. But the words he say, I'm pretty convinced that if Paul was writing a letter to our church today, maybe he would quote this movie, this modern day philosopher to prove his point. I'll read what he says, but what I don't want you to think about is T'Challa talking about Wakanda. What I want you to think about is what would this mean if this was true of the church? He says, we will be sharing our knowledge and resources with the outside world. Wakanda will no longer watch from the shadows. We cannot, we must not. 
We will work to be an example of how we as brothers and sisters on this earth should treat each other. Now more than ever, the illusions of division threaten our very existence. We all know the truth more connects us than separates us. But in times of crisis, the wise build bridges while the foolish build barriers. We must find a way to look after one another as if we were one single tribe. As if when we get to heaven, we were going to all worship together no matter where we came from. That we would sit under one God and praise him, celebrate our differences, but praise the God who created each of us. See, this is our goal. This is our aim. The church should always seek to unite, to build bridges over barriers. And it doesn't matter your race your socioeconomic status, your political affiliation. No, the blood of Jesus covers us all and it brings us together. Not some of us, all of us. Because the gospel of Jesus is for everyone. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we praise you today for how you've created us and the ways that you've commanded us. Lord, I pray that the gospel of Jesus infiltrates every being of our body. That we cannot go anywhere and not be a light for your gospel, for your hope. Lord, would you move us as we go back to work? Would you move us as we go back home, as we hang out with our friends, or wherever you may take us Lord, don't let us be a light hidden under a shade. No, let us be a city on a hill that everybody can see. Lord, challenge us out of our comfort zone and into your will. Lord, we thank you for Jesus. He makes it all possible. We pray you guide us on this journey. You protect us even when we're outside of our comfort zone. But Lord, most of all, would you challenge us to live boldly for you? It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.